سلام خوش آمدید مرحبا اهلا و سهلا اناشنیکا خوانجامیدا سلام علیکم شراغلاد اولام بینبینیدوس زدرستوچی دبرو پاجالوچی هلو ویلکم تو آر پادکست دیالای افل سی لنگو اوکی لیتس گیت دس آر دی وی فرست آی ام نات ا بگ فان آف بزوردز The military is chock full of them. Things like tracking or can-do attitude drive me crazy. So when I use the word resiliency, I'm aware that it's a buzzword, especially after 2020. We're using it everywhere, from days off school to emergency virtual town halls. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing by any means, but let's just say it's well-worn. Having said that, I think this concept of getting up after you've been knocked down or finding your way around obstacles or just plain sticking through tough times, it's just a fascinating topic to me. I mean, who are these people who are the Muhammad Ali's of life? How did they get like that? How can we be like that? It's questions like these that really got Joe Kirkendall interested in the science of learning. It's why he decided to get his master's at Harvard's Graduate School of Business. But what really started his journey in resiliency in the first place was his experience at DLI. Joe is a two-time DLI graduate. Back in 1998, as a private first class, Joe really struggled learning Russian. When I first came here, I was 19 years old. And I think my experience is shared by a lot of the students that come through here, regardless of which service branch you come from. I, I was in over my head. I knew I had the potential to learn. I think I had demonstrated that in school prior to, but it was a challenge for me to really up my time management, my study habits, and make sure that what I was trying to memorize was being put out into production in my classes and in my tests for GPA towards my DOPT. However, the first semester, I really struggled. It wasn't connecting in my brain. I did not feel like it was actually moving into any sort of long-term memory. And it got to the point where my GPA was getting so bad that they were discussing recycling me. And for me, that felt like a personal failure. At some point after like about two and a half months of being here, uh, like in the three-month mark, that Something about my identity was not allowing me to view communication in any way other than from English. And so the pressure that I was under that was necessary for my non-commissioned officers to keep me, you know, directed and focused on being a good soldier, focusing on my academic proficiency, all of that was pressure and pressure and I started losing sleep. I wasn't able to, I wasn't dreaming. So I wasn't getting that, that daily cyclic, you know, purge and refreshment going on. And it was directly connected to identity. And what was happening is I just didn't have the resiliency to handle all of that pressure. And it manifested ultimately in one night where I have all this homework, hours worth of homework, I get done with class. I'm feeling overwhelmed and I just kind of had a, a bit of a break in my head. And I think that's something that a lot of students right now relate to, especially with the COVID-19 environment, that sense of pressure to a breaking point. At that point, Joe says he just quit. He didn't want to do it anymore. So he didn't do his homework that night and he just went to bed. It was the sense of I'm done. I'm fine with this. I'm letting go. And I went to bed 
And that night, I dreamt in Russian for the very first time in my life. The whole dream was Russian. Up the next day, refreshed. The first day in a long period of time that I actually had REM. And I did my homework and where it would take me three hours, I got it done in like 30 minutes. I went from a 1.8 GPA in my first semester to a 3.3 in my second semester to a 3.8 in my third semester. While I will tell you that it doesn't always work that way for everyone, there have been plenty of similar stories. It is undeniable that sleep is one of the most important components to language learning, but we'll get deeper into that topic in another podcast in this series. To me, that really opened up this understanding that our brains are fascinating things. I was so curious as to why my brain and my definition of my identity was holding me up from actually accomplishing what I knew I was capable of accomplishing. And when I was able to bridge that gap and I was able to cross that, I was able to embrace a new identity. And that identity was much more resilient. It was able for me to adapt to my environment and be able to assert what I believed was the right character aligned with army values for me able to handle a lot of things. And that, I, I think that translated at all of my deployments that happened afterwards, all of my academics that I've done since then, all of my life challenges. I really feel it was directly connected to that. I think it's safe to say that 2020 was challenging for everyone. Don't get me wrong, there were some silver linings that came out of it, but I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that we all had some face time with our personal demons. The thing is, resiliency at some level is something we have to develop and grow from childhood all the way until we die. It's, it's just part of life. How much you cultivate, though, is the question. And here at DLI, there is no doubt that being a student at this school is one of those times where whether you graduate or not, you either adapt and learn or you leave bitter and angry. The pandemic, while unprecedented and, let's be real, really crazy, it definitely added an extra layer of challenge. But there will always be challenges. There will always be obstacles in our way. There will always be things that we have to overcome. Some easier than others, of course. But how does that work? How do you go from nothing left to give to arriving at the summit? Joe has some insights into that, and he comes at it from not just a well-educated point of view, but also is someone who has deliberately pressured people into the most stressful situations of their lives. Joe was a SEER instructor. Uh, so SEER, or Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape, is a training program and it's used for Department of Defense or select Department of Defense uh, personnel that have a, a risk of some sort of detention environment, whether it be prisoner of war, political detainee, or hostage. And the program is designed to teach them how to employ the code of conduct uh, so that they can survive and return with honor in those various survival scenarios. I was a really good role play instructor. My job was to represent to an individual what they thought was the most stressful persona. And I was supposed to leverage that to the point of peak performance to challenge them while very skillfully introducing solutions that they felt intuitively they could implement. So that when they tested the, when they, they used that growth mindset to, to put forth a successful strategy, I would, within my role, give them that win, to build that confidence so that they were able in that moment, knowing 
in the back of their minds, they know that it's role play. But it's incredibly real when you've got someone right in your face. That is very terrifying. So let me put that into layman's terms. Joe's job was to apply psychological pressure to military members who might be put into certain difficult situations like capture or torture by the enemy. If you ask any military who has been through the training, they'll tell you the first rule is don't talk about what happened during SEER training. The second thing to know is sleep deprivation is an easy way to make people feel like a training environment is really an enemy camp where interrogations and psychological stress is happening, which is where Joe came in. If you can imagine what a jungle camp in uh, Vietnam was like, uh, we have the capacity to simulate that and, and, a, and a simulation capacity where people can employ the code of conduct to survive and return with honor. Uh, political detention. Um, there's a series of case studies that have occurred between different countries uh, you know, that we have uh, had problems with historically. So if you can imagine being in a high security prison facility, but it, you're being interrogated and exploited by very sophisticated exploiters, that's another environment that you might find yourself in. To include an environment where you are a hostage held by ISIS or a you know kidnap for ransom down in Central or South America. So the environments that we're placing people through are very visceral and gritty and very real. And it's in those environments that people will find themselves oftentimes going into action paralysis. And we're teaching people to go and control your emotions think through that, understand that you are, are more than likely going to be placed in a position of compromise uh, emotionally and physically, and yet still live up to those ideals and employ the code of conduct. And it's designed to make it a very real experience so that if you ever do find yourself in that uh, position in the future, serving the United States government, you are able to easily recall the lessons learned from those programs rather than forcing someone to try to find a solution in the middle of all that stress. When Joe left SEER and went into the operational side of special operations, he came across people he'd, well, trained. As I would walk by, people would have that look of shock on their face, like, not this guy. But then they would remember and they'd smile and they go, how are you doing? That to me is success. That's someone that's able to, in a moment, they flash back to that very personal, powerful, emotional event but then they immediately process that in a very quick way. They didn't go into action paralysis and they're immediately able to remember this person taught me something. The thing is people chosen for a position that would have them doing SEER training, they are screened. And I mean, a lot of screening is done to make sure this person can handle the high stress. So what can a regular person do to be resilient? It is a practice because it's a mindset. I was just having a conversation this morning with a colleague about the difference between growth and fixed mindsets. You know, a fixed mindset is someone that believes that they don't really have any locus of control over what's going on with them in their environment. Whereas a growth mindset looks at a challenge as an opportunity to grow. They're imparted, they have curiosity, they have a kind approach, they have a humble component to it that, you know, they've kind of accepted that what they don't know is infinite. And when you realize that, your arrogance kind of goes out the window. So it is a mindset. Over the next several podcasts, we'll focus on three tools that will help you practice resiliency. 
how important the supportive community is to you thriving, how failing is actually a good thing, and how to take care of you, which is where sleep comes in, by the way. But there's two things I'd like you to keep in mind as we go through this. You might be a current DLI student, a former student, or a civilian experiencing a rough patch in life. It doesn't matter who you are or what your circumstances, these will apply to you. Number one, there is no one-size-fits-all for developing resiliency. What works for one person doesn't necessarily work for someone else. We're all different people experiencing our challenges in our own way. Only you will know what will work for you. Number two, and this is the bottom line, there is no getting over this. Whatever obstacles or challenges you're facing, you have to go through it. I can give you all the science and all the charts and all the statistics. None of that changes the bottom line. Having resiliency isn't a magic pill. Even if you have all these tools in your kit, and Lord, I just used another buzzword, you still have to go through your situation. You can't escape it or run from it. You just have to keep going until you're on the other side. I just want to add one more thing before we go, something Joe mentioned. It's a quote by Theodore Roosevelt from a speech he gave in 1910. It's not the critic who counts. It's not the person who points out how the strong one stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the person who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends oneself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, even if that person fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that their place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat.